Would you please be seated and turn your attention to the screen this morning for an important announcement. Okay, are you ready for your next tour? Yes. yes. We're going to look at the area of philosophy and ethics. We have a crisis of the loss of the whole concept of ethics. There are staircases that go nowhere. There are pillars that serve no purposes. Have you been taken captive? How do I know I exist? And if I do exist, why do I exist? If I think I exist, where did that thought come from? What is thinking anyway? What is reason? What is logic? What is knowing? If I know something, how can I know that it is real? And what is the meaning and purpose of life? Now, if you want an impossible task, try to find the answers in there. How many of you know what you just saw? Where does that come from? The Truth Project. And when, when are we having the Truth Project? Every Wednesday night. And this is what's coming up. Logic. And you're going you're gonna to hear it. What's happening? He's talking about how far we have come from truth. Jesus said, I have come to bear witness or to testify to the truth. If you testify, you're in a court. So evidently, truth is on trial. And when did that trial start? Back in the book of Genesis. And this is probably one of the most powerful things you will ever see on truth. Why the world thinks like it thinks. Why sometimes we think like we think. And how far we've pulled away from what truth really is. Truth is who God is and what God says. So, Wednesday nights, 5.30, you can come get a hamburger or a dog, a hot dog. I love hot dogs. I was helping them serve the other night. Couldn't get anybody to take hot dogs. I like them burned. How many of you like hot dogs that are burned just a little bit? <laughs> I'm not by myself. We're having the best time. 6.30, we'll all come in here. It's a wonderful chance to see people that you haven't seen in a while because we're not in different classes. We're all in here, several hundred. The other night, they, they thought they are going to have 60, maybe. Oh, you have little faith. Last count was 120, there were eight, and then others came in for the session, so we're just building every week. And you need to tell your friends because this is probably one of the most powerful things they'll ever see. Secondly, Vacation Bible School. In just a few weeks, we need your help. Last year, boy, everybody responded. People are responding, but I, if you'd go down to the children's area and find Darlene and say, we want to help. Wayne said, if we don't help, we have to pay a double tithe for the next six months. No, but we really need your help. We really do. So. Same spirit at NSX, go down and sign up. We're all going to be here. It's going to be a wonderful time. Okay, let's everybody stand up. Turn to your neighbor and say, aren't you glad the Celtics won last night? Whatever, just find five or six people around you. Talk to ahead and stand please our God is a holy God let's sing to him he is worthy of our praise sing holy 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 to the Lord
Amen. Let's praise his name. Let's sing praise to the Lord, the Almighty. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise Him, for He is my health and salvation. All ye who
Would you bow your head, please, and just offer the Lord praise this morning? We sung some amazing words of who He is and what He has done. He shelters us in the shadow of His wings. He has written our names on the palms of His hands. He knows our name. He's a holy God. He's a worthy Lamb of God who was slain for us. Give Him praise because He's worthy. He keeps His word. He said, in three days I'll rise again. And He did. He promises to come back to receive us, to be with Him for all of eternity. He'll keep His word. He's faithful and true. He's trustworthy. Give Him praise. As you respond to who He is, these words that prompt us to respond to who He is, just let your heart overflow in praise to Him. This is a weekend we remember those who have fallen that we might live in freedom. Would you pray for those that you know, those families who've lost loved ones in, in the wars that have preceded us, the war that we're currently in? As we acknowledge that freedom costs a great deal and many of us who stand in this room will never know what it cost personally but so many have gone before us and given their lives that we might walk in freedom so give thanks Now give thanks to the Lord that He died that we might not have to. We'll never know what it costs to be nailed to a cross, but He knows what it cost. It cost Him His life's blood, His very life. Give Him thanks this morning that we can walk in freedom because of what He did on the cross. Freedom is costly. Whether it's the freedoms that we experience as a nation, country, or the freedoms to walk free from the penalty of sin because of Jesus' gift on the cross. He is the light of the world he is truth. He is all that we need to satisfy the longings of our hearts. And we've come this morning to worship Him. So let's sing together these great words that say, I have come to worship you, light of the world.
Would you be seated? And would you draw that imaginary circle around yourself as if nobody else were here, just you and the Lord. And let's continue in the prayer that began as Terry led us and then the worship of we're here to worship. Three words for worship in the New Testament, basic words. One of them is sibome, which means I'm going to live a lifestyle Monday through Saturday that reflects what I say I am on Sunday. Then you have the word proskuneos, which is the word song we just sung. We bow down and fall prostrate before him. Then we have the word latrevo, which means to serve. If you're not serving, you're not worshiping. That's the part of your walk. So as you draw that circle around yourself and you want to worship him this morning and bow down before him, just say to him what you want to say to him today. Just take into the presence of the Lord those things that are on your heart. Praise him. Ask the Lord if there's any sin in your life that you've not confessed. Something that's an attitude, maybe, or something that you've done that you've not asked the Lord to forgive you and cleanse you. The forgiveness is there as a Christian. Just like it's in a vault, and as we ask, as we confess and ask Him to cleanse us, that's where we begin to reap what we already have. Let the Lord just cleanse you this morning of whatever's in your heart. Remember, repentance is not promising to do better. It's letting Jesus be Jesus in your life. It's letting him overcome you. Victory is Jesus overcoming you, not you overcoming sin. So just that, let him deal very personally with you for a moment or two. As Terry led us a while ago, today is a very special day, special weekend, where we just be, are grateful for those who have laid down their lives on a foreign field, perhaps even in the battle on terror, which is even the worst kind of battle in the war that we're in right now. And we just want to pray for the families of those who have lost loved ones, continue to do that. Perhaps you have a, a friend or a son or a relative or a daughter that's over there now and you want to pray for them, they're in harm's way, whether in Iraq or Afghanistan or wherever they are. Let's just pray for our, our service men and women, wherever they are today. And let's remember them very specially for a few moments. Those servicemen laid down their lives so that we might be free. Jesus laid down his life that we might eternally understand his freedom. As he comes to live in us, knowing that freedom is not the right to do as you please, but the power to do as you should. And this morning, that spirit of giving continues to stay within our heart. If Jesus is Jesus in us, then living and giving are synonymous. So as we come to the time of worshiping God with our tithes and offerings, Let's remember that that spirit of giving is who he is in us. And ask the Lord right now, Lord, what do you want me to give this morning? What do you want me to give? 
and just do what he tells you to do. Anything he tells you, he enables. So just ask him so that he might be honored and he might be blessed. Father, we just thank you so much as we have an opportunity now to express worship to you in another way, to express worship as we return back that which you've given to us. And Lord, I pray you'll be very specific in our hearts that we would give what you tell us to give. May we understand it. Lord, you don't need that, what we give, but we desperately need to learn to give. That's what frees us. And so, Father, we just pray this morning that we'll do what you tell us to do, that you might be honored, that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers. As morning dawns and evening fades, you inspire songs of praise that rise from earth to touch your heart and glorify your name. Your name is strong in my town.
Father, thank you so very much. Just in the worship time and the music time we've had already today. Lord, the truths that you've restated to our hearts. Lord, the promises, the, everything that we have in the Lord Jesus that we've sung about, that we've rehearsed. Thank you, Father, that your name is a strong tower. Your name is a shelter. And Father, thank you this morning as we come to the time of your word. Your spirit is the teacher. Lord, I pray you'll open our hearts, open our minds. Lord, never let us live by instinct, but let us live by divine revelation. And thank you, Father, for your word, which has been revealed to us. We pray, Father, that in my weakness, your strength would be made perfect. And I pray, O oh Lord, as I seek to teach, I will be taught. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, will you turn with me today to the book of Jude? The book of Jude only has one chapter, and we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 10. The book of Jude, verses 8 through 10. Some very tough scripture, but some very powerful scripture. We've entitled our whole series in Jude, Snakes Around the Water. Those poisonous cottonmouth moccasins of the south, they lay, they lay around the shallow parts of the water. But if you get out into depths of it, you don't have to worry about them that much because they don't venture that far. And a lot of Christians, you see, have put the word on a shelf. Maybe they just spend an hour and maybe they come to church once a week and that's it. And they don't understand that the more you're in it, the deeper you go, the less you have to fear the snakes, the false teachers that lie around the shallow water. We don't become prey to the false teacher. Well, today we're going to talk about the rest of the story, part one, because it goes all the way down through verse 16. The rest of the story. Now, let me get you into it. After assuring the believers that the unbelieving and immoral false teachers would certainly be judged, Jude turns back to describing their arrogant and irreverent behavior one more time. Now, from verse 8 to verse 16, he tells us the rest of the story. You say, what do you mean the rest of the story? Well, back in verse 4, he's already begun. And in verse 4, he started telling us that those false teachers are ungodly. This means that they live without any respect for God and for His standards. He has told them that these false teachers turn the grace of God into licentiousness or what we would call license. In other words, the freedom in Christ that believers would have, he made them think that it was a right to do as you please rather than the power to do as you should. Well, the bottom line was of these false teachers, and he's already told us this, that they refused to bow to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, Jude is not finished describing them. And we wonder why he goes into such detail. We're going to go into even deeper today. We're going to see the attitude of a false teacher. We're going to see more of the activity of a false teacher that's very predictable. It's a pattern that they have. But why does he spend so much time defining these false teachers? And we don't really know except that, first of all, it was a, it was a great danger to the church of that time. False doctrine cripples everything that you're doing. If, if, if it's not the truth of God's Word then false doctrine would lead you astray so quickly. And it was a very dangerous thing, and they were facing it in that very hour. But perhaps also the reason that he was doing this in such detail as he was led by the Spirit of God was to help them discern between the deceived teacher and the deceptive teacher. It's very important to understand the difference. 
People can be deceived in their doctrine, but if they're a believer, they respect God, they honor Him, they're quickly to be taught. You see, any teacher has to be, a, has to be teachable. Any person that's a teacher should always be teachable, never to where they're not willing to listen to others. That's a deceived teacher. They will change. But a deceptive teacher will not change. His judgment's already upon him. Remember, it says it cannot be changed. They know exactly what they're doing. So it's good to know the difference between the two. I don't know if you've ever duck hunted or not. If you've duck hunted, you've been cold to the point that you've wished you've never gotten out of bed that morning. Usually when you're duck hunting, it's wet. It's freezing cold. The wind's blowing. The clouds are low. And uh, it's just a miserable experience, but it's sort of bittersweet in the fact if you like to hunt. I was hunting in the Mississippi Flyway. I made a mistake in the last service and said there are no ducks in, in New Mexico because there's no water. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Because they, they, they bombarded me after the service and said, this is the flyway for them to get to the south. They've got to come right across here. I beg your forgiveness. But when I was hunting down there, we would get in a boat and go one hour out into what they call the Mississippi Flyway. It wasn't all the way to the Gulf. It was the swampy land before you get to the Gulf. There was a houseboat sitting back there. We slept on the houseboat, hunted several days. And during the day, we'd get into a boat, the boat that we came out on, and went even further into that swampy area. It was an incredibly uh, mosquito-infested place. And they, we were hunting pintails and mallard ducks. Now, I don't know if you know anything about ducks, but a pintail hen and a mallard hen are very difficult to distinguish between. One was legal, oh, if you got so many, and the other was legal if you only got so many. So you had to really know what you were doing to hunt down there. I had never hunted there before in my life. So when they came, I couldn't tell in the air if I was a pintail hen or a mallard hen. I just shot it. <laughs> I have this quirk in my personality. <laughs> if it's across the road or anyway. But I just shot. And what I would do, I'd put, the, the, I'd put it inside my coat the ducks or whatever I, I had it with me, the bag I had with me or down in my boot. But they had game wardens that would fly in on a helicopter. And they would set the helicopter down in the middle of that swamp and they would turn the dogs loose. Well, the dogs would come right to you, sniff around, and they'd find those ducks. If you're hiding them, they'd find them. Well, I was able to elude the game and fish officers. <laughs> and I kept them all day long wondering if I was illegal. I was just under such stress. At the end of the day, come to find out I was legal all day long and didn't even know it because I couldn't tell the difference between a pintail hen and a mallard hen. You see, sometimes they're just so close, but there is a difference. And perhaps that's what Jude is doing. Make sure you're not shooting the wrong one. Make sure that you've got the difference in your mind of somebody who's deceived because at the end of this epistle, we're going to have to deal with those who've fallen into false doctrine and become deceived in false doctrine, and we're to show mercy to them. Well, what's the difference in that person and a deceptive teacher? And that's what Jude is doing, I believe, is to make sure we're not shooting the wrong one. Show mercy to this one. But on this one, his judgment has already been sealed. Three things he brings out. Very difficult scripture, but I think, I think it'll speak to each of our hearts. First of all, Jude says that these false teachers lived lawlessly. Remember 1 John, when he talked about all sin is lawless? In verse 8, he says, Yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority. 
Now, the words in the same way, homoios, and it's translated likewise in the, in the King James Version. It means in like manner, just like something else. And it links what he's saying back to verse 7. And it links it back to the specific ways of living that the men of Sodom and Gomorrah demonstrated for us. Yet in the same way, just like the men of Sodom and Gomorrah, these men also, by dreaming... Now, the word dreaming, inapniazo, it's, it's the word that means to see something that's, that's unreal in a dream. It's kind of like when I dream of killing the world record bull elk. I mean, that's just not going to happen. Or maybe you dream, Diana's so funny. She says she has this dream over and over again. She's flying. <laughs> and she's just flying around. If you know Diana, you, <laughs> that's so cute. Because she just says, I just I said, where'd you fly last night, you know? You see something that's unreal while you're asleep. Now here, it refers to how the false teachers used dreams, now listen carefully, and visions which were unreal to substantiate their teaching. God appeared to me in a dream the other night. Are you sure it wasn't pizza? In other words, the Word of God was never that which substantiated what they dreamed. Now, certainly God does give dreams and visions, as He says it in His Word, but it'll always be in co coherent with the Word of God. It'll be consistent with the Word of God. You can never take a dream or whatever and displace it from God's Word. God's Word, it's truth, and that's the moral compass. That's the thing that keeps us on the road. Not a dream and not a vision. You see, the Word of God was never their source. But dreams and visions of that which was unreal was what they based what they said to the people. Now Jude first mentions, when you start, when people do this, behavior lines up behind it. Two things, he mentions two things describing how the false teachers lived. Now remember, just as in like manner to the men of Sodom and Gomorrah. Yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh. Now the word defile there in Miano, and it means to stain with color as the staining of a glass. Now it's dealing with two things here, to tinge, to pollute, to defile. He doesn't use the word soma for body, but he has, that's in mind, the physical part of man. But it goes beyond that. The word flesh, not just the physical part, but it also deals with the, the carnal and, and, and sinful desires of man. I like what Peter says about the very same thing. Remember, Second Peter and Jude are almost identical. And he writes about the flesh, and he calls it the corrupt desires of the flesh. Listen to what he says in his second epistle in chapter 2 and verse 10. He says, and especially those, speaking of the false teachers, who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires. So just like the men of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, these false teachers followed the whims of their corrupt and sinful flesh and their desires, even to the point of homosexuality. You say, Wayne, why do you bring that up? Because the text, if you go back and study Sodom and Gomorrah, that's identically the sin that the men of that city committed. They went after the men that were angels and wanted to have relationships with them. So it took them all the way to the depravity of that sin. But the second thing that Jude mentions, that in doing so, in living this way, basing your thinking on dreams and visions, which is unreal and not the Word of God, and then living out of the desires of your flesh, 
What that means is you're rejecting any authority over your life. He says, yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority. The word reject is the word atheteo. And it means basically to make void by setting it apart in another place. In other words, taking it out from under authority. It comes from the word ah, which means without. And the word thetos, which means to place, to place something in a position. So to not to deny, to consider void by one's actions. In other words, lawless living. When a person is going to do what he wants to do, he tells everybody he's not living under authority. He rejects living under authority. The word authority is not the word that's normally used for authority. It's the word kyriotis, and it means Lord or mighty one. It refers to dominion, to majesty. So here it would refer certainly, first of all, to God. But then secondly, as you'll see in a moment, the angelic realm, they had no respect for angelic beings, but also probably it includes the church leaders. We're living like we want to live. It's our way or the highway. These false teachers, these snakes around the water of God's Word showed total contempt toward God and to all of His dominion, denying even the authority of His angels. They lived lawlessly. Now you see, you can have a person who's a, remember the pintail and the mallard hand. Over here, you can have a person who's deceived. And yes, some of these things may come out, but he's going to have a heart to please God, even though he's deceived in what he thinks he believes. But a person over here, you see, is different. He has a lawless way of living. He does not in any way respect God, has no authority over his life, defiles his very flesh by living as, as he wants to live, and he rejects all the authority over him. So they lived lawlessly. They lived lawlessly. But secondly, they reviled arrogantly. Now, is this going to stay with me on this one? Jude will point to a story that the believers he's writing to will have, have familiarity with, and he'll use that story to reveal a principle that we all need to understand. He says, yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority. Then he says, and revile angelic majesties. Now, what in the world is he talking about? Well, the word revile is the word blasphemo, and it means to blaspheme. To revile someone, now listen carefully, is to speak against them, tearing down their reputation, tearing down their character. But there's another way to revile them. It's either by what you say, now listen, or by how you live that, re that reviles another person, that blasphemes another person. It is to act or speak in the meanest form of ridicule. You see, when we choose not to live submissive to that which we say we believe, we have in a sense blasphemed that which we said was truth because we're not allowing it to affect our life. So it is to act or to speak. It, it mainly, these people would speak, but it could be either way. These defiant men, to show their rebellious heart, slandered angelic majesties. Now, the term angelic majesties uh, comes from that word doxa, it, 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 the majesty word it does it specifically. It refers to the glory and the recognition that should come to the creation of God, the angelic realm. Instead, these false teachers ridiculed God's very own heavenly realm. Now, how did they do that? The audacity to do this, is, it, it, to ridicule God's heavenly realm, is shown in verse 9. You have to keep going. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, 
did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now let's go back and look at that. Jude is referring to something that's not in Scripture. As a matter of fact, it can only be found in an ancient book called The Assumption of Moses. It was not in the canon. It was not in God's Word, but it was prevalent at that time. They would know the story from that book. This story was known to early believers and relates to the time when the archangel, Michael, was sent from heaven to bury the body of Moses. That whole story is in this book, The Assumption of Moses. Is that correct? Is it not correct? Well, that's not what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with what they thought and what they understood at that time. Jude says, but Michael, the archangel. Now, the word Michael is the word that means uh, he who is like God. What What a beautiful name. We find Michael in the book of Daniel, chapter 10, verse 13, verse 21. We find him in chapter 12 and verse 1, standing over Israel. He seems to be the angel that watched over Israel. In chapter 12 of Revelation 7 through 9, we see him leading the host of angels. Jude calls him the archangel, but Michael the archangel. Now the word archangel comes from two words, archon, which means the first or the highest, and the word agilos, which means angel, the highest of angels. Archangel refers, and they had ranks of angels. The cherubim, and I don't remember all the ranks. Seraphim, you've got the archangel. That's the highest of all the ranks of angels. Now, Michael was one of several. Now, this is, might be interesting to you. Another word for archangel is the term chief princess. And in Daniel chapter 10, verse 13, we see that Michael is one of the chief princes. It says in Daniel 10, 13, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, one of the chief princes, plural, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. There are seven angels that stand before the throne, and many believe that these are the seven, perhaps, archangels in Revelation 8, 2. It does not say that they are. It says, And I saw the seven angels stand before God, who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And you'll see in a moment where that word trumpet and archangel, there's a connection there. And perhaps those are the seven archangels. The names of only two are, are found in the New Testament. That's Michael and that's Gabriel. Michael's title, Archangel, is a term found only here and in 1 Thessalonians 4.16. But there's where the connection comes. Listen as I read 1 Thessalonians 4.16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So the term archangel reflects the highest ranking of an angel. The Bible regards an archangel as high or holy angel appointed to a special task. So let's go back down to the verse. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses. Now, when he, as the story goes in the, the book of the Assumption of Moses, when Michael the archangel was sent by God to bury the body of, of Moses, which is not in the Word of God, The Word of God says that God buried him, but in that sense, I've gone home before to bury somebody, but I didn't dig the grave. I didn't put the body there in the casket. I went home to bury them. Somebody else actually did the carrying it out. Well, it could be. In Deuteronomy 34, 5, and 6, it talks about God burying the body of Moses. 
And it says, Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no man knows his burial place to this day. So according to the story, though, in the assumption of Moses, Michael was sent to bury the body of Moses. When Michael began his work, he entered into a dispute with the devil, as the story goes in that book, not in the Bible. We build our faith on what's in the Bible. But they did understand this at that time. The devil told Michael that the body of Moses belonged to him. And Michael, of course, in, in the story said, wow, how do you know that? He said it was because Moses had murdered an Egyptian soldier, as is recorded in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 12. The devil said that he had temporary rights over the sinful earth, and therefore that involved also the sinful body of Moses, since Moses had sinned in this way. Well, Michael knew that the devil was wrong. He knew that the devil was full of lies. But here's what Jude pulls out of that story that they would have understood. He did not execute his own authority and pronounce a railing judgment upon the devil. Instead, out of respect and honor for God, he said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, you've got to pay close attention or you'll miss what I'm saying. He did not for one moment speak for God, but allowed God to cast the judgment. When it comes to judgment, only God brings that judgment. Jude wanted the believers to understand the respect that the angels have for the authority of God in contrast to the lack of respect that the false teachers had. Even archangels are careful about how they address other powers, particularly when it comes to judgment and particularly when they're evil ones. Jude wanted the believers to understand that if a, even a powerful angel of God did not dare usurp God's authority and speak a judgment as if on God's behalf, then neither should the false teachers claim to speak for God when they knew nothing about Him. You see, a false teacher is his own God. They know no authority. They live lawlessly. They reviled arrogantly as if they were God themselves. They would stand as if they were standing in his place. Watch for that. Lawless living, arrogant, reviling. Thirdly, they acted instinctively. Now, I don't know. This, this to me, really, really got home with me. Like Sodom and Gomorrah, these men only knew one way to respond to the desires of their flesh, particularly their sexual lust, because that is directly tied to the situation in Sodom and Gomorrah. They lived by pure animalistic instinct with no restraint whatsoever. But you could say they lived like dogs. That's how low their lifestyle was. But these men revile the things which they do not understand. Now that goes back to what we just talked about in the angelic realm. They didn't have a clue what they were doing. And the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things, they are destroyed. So again, these men are the false teachers. And in contrast to the angel Michael, these men revile and blaspheme with no understanding. If they could understand a t a, just a bit of it, it would scare them half to death what they're doing. But they have no fear. They have no understanding. But he says they, they lived as gods of their own lives. The word understanding is the word evo. Remember, we've looked at this word in 1 John. We've looked at it here. It's the word that means they had no divine perception as to what they were dealing with. 
I think about the Apostle Paul, or he was Saul at the time. Didn't have a clue what he was dealing with when he was killing Christians. Until he got on the Damascus Road going to arrest Christians, and the God of all Christianity arrested him, blinded him for three days, and he found out what he was dealing with. These men have no understanding what they're dealing with whatsoever. And then he says, but these men revile the things which they do not understand. And then he adds, and the things which they know by instinct. Oh, oh man. The only things these arrogant, defiant, rebellious, false teachers know is natural instinct. The word know is epistemy. That's an interesting word because normally you don't find that. It's the word that means the idea of something that, that you know because of something that you've experienced. You comprehend or understand it only to the degree you've experienced it. You don't know it by revelation of, by God. You only know it by your own personal experience, and it refers to their fleshly encounters. All that they understand comes by natural instinct instead of God's revelation. The word instinct is the word sukikos, and it means natural human or animalistic instinct without any human reasoning to it whatsoever. But these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct like unreasoning animals by these things they are destroyed. In other words, they understand like unreasoning animals. There's no moral code here. It's only by experience like the lions in Uganda when they would eat a human. They wanted to eat more humans because we have salt in our skin and our flesh, and they like that. It sweetens the meat, they say. Well, a grizzly bear is the same way up when you get up in the grizzly bear country. It's the same thing. Once they taste, and they have no moral compass. It doesn't matter if it's a human being. It doesn't matter if it takes. They only know by that which they have experienced. Again, not by revelation, but by experience. Experience is God to them whether it be in a dream, whether it be in a vision, whether it be in a sexual encounter, whatever it is, that's the way they learn. They don't learn from the Word of God. They don't have the divine revelation of God. But these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed, like unreasoning animals. What he's saying here is, do you see the difference in the two? Over here you have a deceived man, but his life is not lived that way. He seeks to live and for, for the glory of God, but he's misled in, in what he believes. And you can see tendencies of the flesh in anybody. But over here, you have a depraved pattern, a depraved lifestyle. They live like unreasoning animals. They're no better than animals who live by their instinct. While claiming superior knowledge, they only had the basic knowledge that any animal would have. Their status was actually below that of humanity. Their refusal to heed God's voice left them enslaved to sin and to sinful passions. The only things these men truly understood were the passion and the lust of their flesh, which enslaved them, and they couldn't even see it. Even though they claimed to be able to indulge themselves without any judgment, without any retribution, all false teachers denounced judgment, eventually they would be destroyed by those very sins. It says, by these things they are destroyed. They are truly the walking dead. So in conclusion, you say, Wayne, this is pretty heavy. We've been in 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. They all say the same thing. Now we're in Jude, and we're having the Truth Project on Wednesday nights. My goodness, do you think God might be trying to say something to us in the 21st century? 
None of this was planned. I think God's trying to get a message across bigger than anything. Base your faith not on what Wayne says. Base your, base your faith on what God says in his word. Stay in truth. Measure everything by the truth of God's word. Because if you don't, there are people that are already amongst us. He says they're amongst us. And we don't see their lifestyle right often if you don't go home with them. They'll come across as, hey, we believe like you believe. And we'll say what you want to hear. But if you look at their lifestyle and their attitude, it'll scare you half to death. And he said, you better be discerning. You better be discerning. They live lawlessly. They reviled arrogantly. They take the place of God and make a judgment. And by these, and he says not only that, they, they acted instinctively. You know, when I, was in the, when I was in church recreation, church youth and recreation, I don't know if you know that or not, about 14 or 17, I can't remember how many years it was. It was, it was a good 40 years, isn't that the, isn't that the time of testing? <laughs> I was in charge of youth and recreation. Big facility, had a bowling lanes, had everything. We ran the whole thing. I had senior adults. I had the children's activities. I had all the youth for years. That was my 40 years with the sheep. <laughs> Moses thinks he had it bad. He never had a, to do church youth recreation for 17 years. But while I was there, I loved camping, I loved the outdoors, and I got into the American Camping Association, trying to raise some boys up to be men. Man, you've got, anyway. And so I took this ACA, and I got into my instructors, which was a very difficult thing to get. And one of the things they did, we had different weeks that we had to park aside and just go learn. One of them was in Florida. When I got down to Florida, they said, we said, we're going to study reptiles. We're going to study snakes. You need to know. If you're going to go out camping in Florida, you better know this. And the first thing they said was, red on yellow, what? Kills a fella. Didn't know if y'all heard that or not. Red on yellow kills a fella. Well, what's that talking about? They were describing the North American coral snake. About 18 inches long, doesn't really bite you, chews on you, and affects your central nervous system. And they said, if you don't know that color code, red on yellow kills a fella. Then they said, red on black, the venom lack. But red on yellow kills a fella. What are you talking about? Because there's snakes down there that look so much alike. You've got to have a real discernment. You've got to spend a lot of time finding out about them, or you would never recognize them in a million years so that you'll have discernment to know what it is that's harmful and that which is not harmful. That which is a deceived teacher and that which is a deceptive teacher comes by the discernment that the Holy Spirit of God has to give you. You see, I've been saying this for so long, I know I sound like a broken record. If you're not in the Word of God every day, for you know, I, don't mean, I don't mean every day, if you're not in the Word, I'm gonna say it that way, I'm not into a legalistic standard, of how many hours did you spend? Oops, you're four minutes short. No, I'm not talking about that. But if you're not in the Word of God for yourself, I don't mean a book about it. I'm talking about the Word itself. Learning to renew your mind, then I want to promise you something. You can't tell the difference in one who's deceived and one who's deceptive. You know why? Because you don't go home with them. And when you see them at church, they look the same. They look the same. They dress up nice. They got beautiful smiles on their face. One just simply doesn't understand and can be taught. The other is out to get you off of dead center to move your moral compass back to where you think that grace is a license and this person has a lifestyle that would literally scare you to death if you knew what was behind the whole situation. If I'm not in the Word, I don't know the difference. 
I think God is saying that to us in these days like never before. Know what you believe. Know why you believe it. And so this morning, as I give the invitation, I'm not saying you're here. You're a false teacher and you're here. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. What I want to say to you is, do you know the difference? Are you in the Word of God today? Do you really know why you believe what you believe? If you don't, you've already become prey to a false teacher, and you thought he was so good, you just didn't know what was under the surface. You must be into the Word for yourself. Stand with me, if you would, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. and Just, just let give you a time to respond to what God's saying to your life. There's a discipline that comes when you study the Word of God. It's not something you just, it's going to happen. not going to happen. It's a choice you make. Maybe God's saying something to you this morning. What do I know about what I know? Remember 1 John? What do you know because you know because you know? It's the same thing. You'll never discern a deceptive teacher from a deceived teacher or even one that's deceived if you don't know the Word of God. Father, we thank you so much for Jude, and we thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit leading him to help us in the 21st century. And Father, we just ask today as we stand here in prayer to you, that, Lord, you will speak to our hearts as you, as you would have each of us to respond. Father, we want Jesus to be Jesus in us. We want to be able to see through his eyes. But to do that, we must be people of, about what he's had to say. Lord, if we're not in the Word, it's not going to work. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the Word of God. Father, help us to see that. And Father, speak to our hearts today. Help us to realize how we've allowed ourselves to go so far from truth that we don't even know it anymore. Bring us back, Lord. Bring us back in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, Terry and the group are going to come and sing. And it's not a time for you to sing. It's a time for you with your eyes closed and the prayer to listen. Because the words of the song will go back to encourage you that even when we face these kind of things, God is able. But what's God saying to you today? Maybe you're here and you don't know the person of truth. You don't know Jesus Christ. And today God's leading you to come and receive him as Lord and Savior of your life. If that's what's going on, then come straight to me, and to my right and your left, there's a double door. People there are wanting to talk with you, pray with you, encourage you. Maybe you're here today and you want to join our church. You don't know how. You go the same place, just even if I'm talking. But maybe you're here today and God somehow got you backed into a corner because you really don't know. You couldn't defend why you believe what you believe. You're not really in the Word. It's something you just haven't had time for. You just didn't realize that you... You need to have time for it. And so maybe that's what God wants to do. Just speak to you down at the front. You might want to come down and say, Oh, God, I'm so far off center right now. I wouldn't know truth if I stared at it. And maybe you need to come. Or maybe you need to come and pray for somebody that you know that's in that position. Nobody's going to judge you. Nobody's going to come to you. Nobody's going to embarrass you if you want to come to the altar. As Terry and the group leads us, you let the Spirit of God speak to you and respond to it as he speaks.
so much for your divine ability to make us what you want us to be, to do through us what you demand from us. We thank you, Father, for salvation. It's not a religious works, but it's a relationship with you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for the intimacy of that relationship as we say yes to you. We've just said no to our flesh. And Lord, in no way would our lifestyle ever cause anybody to doubt if we were a false teacher or we were even a deceived teacher. And Father, I pray that we will be people of the book, people of truth, and we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, would you reach out and take somebody by the hand and uh, just let's sing together the song that they just sung. Let's sing it again together, and they will be dismissed. Remember, to say no to your flesh just simply means say yes to Jesus. Just let him be glorified. Have a wonderful week. Have a great holiday tomorrow. I love you. God loves you. Look forward to seeing you next time. See you later.